It's man-to-man coverage. This is the PFT PM Podcast. And now, your host, Mike Florio. Monday edition of the PFT PM Podcast. First PFT PM of June. At least two this week, possibly three. We'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes in Buffalo. I'm going to get right to it. I'm not going to mince words or waste your time. I got four items I want to get to, and then I'm going to answer your questions. That's it. No meandering other than this. <laughs> no, no off script. Talk about whatever thought pops into my mind other than this. Just football information that will be delivered in a very meandering, whatever thought pops into my mind sort of a way. I've got notes today. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven words on my notes. So bad news, a lot of meandering. Bad news, a lot of whatever thoughts happen to pop into my head at any given moment. Let me meander through this when I mentioned the bills. And this has been coming for a while. And the people who are bills fans, specifically the people who are bills fans who ardently support the team as a Buffalo-based franchise are sounding a lot like other fans have sounded in the past when I have simply passed along analysis based upon circumstance. This is not reporting. This is the application of good old-fashioned common sense to the things that have been said by people who have influence over whether and to what extent the Bills will pay for a new stadium in Buffalo or pay for a new stadium somewhere else. And I went through several years of St. Louis Rams fans shouting down any possibility of the team moving to L.A. And not as long of a time, but definitely a period where San Diego fans we're shouting down the possibility of the Chargers leaving San Diego. And I could go back and find the tweets where they say, I don't know anything about the dynamics of St. Louis and the Rams. I don't know anything about the dynamics of San Diego and the Chargers and the Rams would never leave St. Louis and the Chargers would never leave San Diego. And so much of it is driven by denial. The five stages of grief, anger, denial, bargaining, depression, and acceptance, I feel like what happens is these fan bases stay caught in the first two because it's angry denials. And then by the time they realize they should move on to phase three, it's over. You just have to skip right to acceptance. There's nothing to bargain. You can be depressed as well, but that's not going to get you anything. By the time you process your angry denial, you need to accept the fact that they're gone. Now, there's a chance it works out. There's a chance they stay. But they're not going to stay in Buffalo. Just like the Vikings weren't going to stay in Minnesota unless somebody comes up with a significant pot of cash aimed at getting the team to stay. The Raiders aren't leaving Oakland for Las Vegas because they want to leave Oakland. They're leaving Oakland for Las Vegas because Oakland 
had zero by way of public money that was going to be available to fund a new stadium. And Las Vegas was paying for most of it. Three quarters of a billion dollars in free money to move there. So, the message is clear to the folks in Buffalo, the folks in western New York, the politicians at the state and local level. If you want to keep this team, it's time to start taking it seriously. And I recall very vividly when the Minnesota legislature was meeting and discussing the prospect of a new Viking stadium, I think it was 2011. You know, the messages begin in a very subtle way. And we're firmly in that subtle. It's it's at the point where it's not all that subtle anymore now that the commissioner has come out and made the comments he made today about the team remaining competitive and viable by having a new stadium. And there have been comments by the Pagulas, mainly Kim Pagula. Basically, they spent the money that they had allocated to owning sports teams and or stadiums on the bills. They don't have the money to pay for a stadium. Now, I'm a firm believer that you could build a stadium. If you build a stadium in the right market, you can make a load of money off of it, which is why Stan Kroenke, the owner of the Rams, ultimately told St. Louis, I don't want your public money. I'll build my own damn stadium in L.A. because he's going to make a ton of money off of having that thing used as a year-round venue for all sorts of stuff. It's going to be a magnet for money, and he's going to make his $5 billion back that's being sunken into this mega complex out there that isn't just football events and concerts and other things that will fill up the venue, but all the satellite business around it. He'll make his money back. The Craft Zone, Gillette Stadium, they've made their money back, I'm sure, multiple times over. If you have a stadium in a market that will support the events to be held in the arena and the economic development around the arena, it makes sense to build your own stadium. Now, here's the thing. And I mean no disrespect whatsoever to our fans in Buffalo or the people who hate us in Buffalo. I love Buffalo. I've been to Buffalo. I hope the Bills stay in Buffalo forever. But here's the thing. Acting like it's not a concern, acting like it's no big deal, not sounding the alarm is not the way to keep the Bills in Buffalo. The reality is, if the Pagulas have to buy their own stadium and build their own stadium, they're not going to build it in Buffalo. They're not. Because the stadium isn't going to cost all that much more in another city. But Buffalo versus San Diego. If you're going to build the stadium, now the construction costs may be far more expensive in California and you've got tax issues and labor problems and it's not the best overall jurisdiction for business interests. But if the ultimate dollars are relatively equal for what it takes to build the stadium, the revenue generated is going to be much more significant in San Diego because of the weather. It's going to be a lot easier to have any major concert tour stop there. And you can attract other events because it's San Diego. If you got to build your own stadium, what does it cost me in Buffalo? What does it cost me in San Diego? What does it cost me in any other city that may be a viable location for this team? And then there's St. Louis, which had plenty of money on the table when the Rams said no thank you. Plenty of money. $400 million in public money. 
This is an item from Nick Wagner of ESPN.com dated December 30, 2015. The St. Louis Stadium Task Force officially submitted its proposal to build a $1.1 billion stadium on the city's North Riverfront. And the proposal called for $400 million in public money. Now, that would mean plenty of private money. But there's three different ways this can go. The, the state can pay for all of it, which rarely happens anymore. The state can pay some. State and local government can pay some. And the team can pay some. Team slash league contribution. Or the team and the league can pay for the whole damn thing. And if you're going to do that, all bets are off. Folks, you got to remember, you got to remember, the loyalty and the affection and the passion that the NFL attempts to engender in the cities where it does business is a one-way street. They want us to be loyal and passionate about supporting the team. They want us to show up and buy tickets in any and all conditions. No matter how cold, no matter how hot, no matter how sunny, no matter how rainy, no matter how windy, no matter how uncomfortable it is to try to watch a game out in the elements. They want that kind of loyalty to be inspired in the fan base. But the moment it makes more business sense to go somewhere else, they reserve the right to do so. I'm not saying they always will make the smart business decision. The Saints eventually made a business decision that may not have been all that smart at the time to not leave New Orleans in the aftermath of Katrina. And early on, there was a sense that the Saints were going to use that not as a pretext, as a legitimate reason to get out of New Orleans because they had wanted to leave. They were having issues with the stadium. They wanted a new stadium, and that stadium is still playing in it. They're going to upgrade it. And they're going to keep trying to milk what they can out of the Superdome for as long as they can. The way that the league ultimately forced the Saints to respond to Katrina has helped the Saints and New Orleans form a bond that at this point is largely unbreakable. But for the most part, if you've got a... It, it, look, we've seen almost 10% of the league relocate or is about to relocate. Rams left St. Louis, Chargers left San Diego, and as soon as next year, the Raiders are leaving Oakland. Three out of 32 teams after 20 years of nothing. As long as the public mood is against funding stadiums. And look, anytime one of these things gets put up to a public vote, it loses. Because no matter how big the NFL fancies itself to be, in a community, in most communities... You put a measure like that on the ballot box and you are cooked. You're done. There aren't enough members of the general population who vote, who give a crap about that team being in that town to vote in favor of funding the stadium. Plus, there's been a distinct mood in recent years to tell the billionaires, build your own damn stadiums. And they will. They just won't build it in your city. They'll build it in the city that makes the most sense, the biggest market, the place where they can make the most money. It is a business. Do not delude yourself into thinking it is not a business. They try to make you think it's not a business. That's the genius of it. They want you to think football is family. No, football is financial. 
it is in the financial benefit of the NFL to make you think football is family and to get you to act like the local football team is a member of your family. But they reserve the right to leave the family if it's ever in their best financial interest to leave the family. It is that simple. And the NFL would never admit it that way, but that's the truth. It's a for-profit enterprise. And they will go wherever they have to go to make whatever money they think they can make. And if you force someone to pay for their own stadium, they're going to pay for it in a place where they think they can make the most money. I'm looking at the top 100 TV markets. This is 2018. This is on page 304 of the NFL record and fact book. The top 100 markets. The 18th market... Orlando, Daytona Beach, Melbourne does not have a team. It's got 1.5 million TV households. Sacramento is 20. It doesn't have a team. St. Louis is 21. It doesn't have a team. Portland is 22. It doesn't have a team. Raleigh, Durham, I can't imagine a team being that close to Charlotte, but that's the 25th market. doesn't have a team. 29th market, San Diego, no team. 30, Salt Lake City, no team. 31, San Antonio, they're not going to wedge a team between Houston and Dallas. That could be good leverage, but that's not going to happen. Hartford and New Haven, 32. At one point, remember, the Patriots are going to move to Hartford. Columbus, Ohio, 34. Columbus is a bigger TV market than Cincinnati, Jacksonville, New Orleans, Buffalo, Green Bay. The smallest TV market by way of TV households, other than Green Bay Appleton with 415,000 homes, is Buffalo with 592,000 homes. The bigger markets, bigger than Buffalo that don't have NFL teams, Providence, you don't have to worry about that. Memphis, bigger market than Buffalo. Louisville, bigger market than Buffalo. Greensboro, don't have to worry about that. Norfolk, Virginia, probably don't have to worry about that. Albuquerque, Albuquerque, freaking New Mexico. The Albuquerque Baby Blues, bigger market than Buffalo. Harrisburg, Birmingham, Grand Rapids, don't have to worry about them. Oklahoma City, Austin, don't have to worry about them. Greenville, boy, North Carolina is a hell of a state. They got a lot of these major TV markets all jammed together. West Palm Beach. Milwaukee, don't have to worry about them. We talked about all the others. Bottom line, it's all driven by dollars and cents. It's all driven by dollars and cents. So... Look, Bills fans, you can get mad, anger denial, stay in anger denial until you have to accelerate to acceptance. That's your call. But if you want to keep the team, I, I, I mean, I, I, hate, I hate it when these local communities are hijacked for tax dollars to justify building a stadium, but that's the only way it's going to happen if you want to keep your team. Because if the Pagulas have to pay for the stadium, one of these other markets that is larger, is going to be more attractive. And if the weather is better, it's going to be more attractive because there's more stuff you can do with that stadium. It's that simple.
Roger Goodell made his comments about the Bills stadium while at the Jim Kelly football camp. And one of Goodell's old favorite topics also came up, the preseason. Now, several years ago, Roger Goodell would routinely trash, uh, routinely trash, excuse me, trash the preseason or trash the preseason, which I guess is theoretically possible, in an effort to justify the flip side of shrinking the preseason. If you shrink the preseason, you can grow the regular season. So Goodell in Buffalo said today that four preseason games may not be necessary. They may, he said that before, may not be necessary. Of course they're not necessary. It's something he said time and again. Goodell said he's spoken to coaches. I'm not sure they believe it's necessary to have four preseason games to evaluate players. We want to give fans great value, and I'm not sure four preseason games does that. In other words, we want more regular season games. More regular season games, fewer preseason games, because they're still going to give you 20 games. Back when there were 14 regular season games, there were six preseason games. They just moved that, that dot. From 14 and 6 to 16 and 4. And for the last 9, 10 years, they've wanted to move it to 18 and 2. Anytime Roger Goodell talks about the preseason being bigger than it needs to be, he is also saying the regular season isn't as big as we'd like it to be. And this just comes after last week's report from Mark Maskey of the Washington Post that the 18-game season is in play. Of course it is. This isn't a negotiating point. I've seen some suggest that the NFL is throwing 18 games out there so they can back off of it and look magnanimous. No, they want 18 games. They want 18 games. The question is, how much does the NFLPA want for 18 games, and will the NFL give the NFLPA what it wants in order to go from 16 to 18 games? It's that simple. It's one of the few issues on which the union has real leverage because the union has done a great job of holding firm and convincing the league we don't want 18 games. And I wonder if the NFL's desire to have 18 games. I mean, I look at it this way. Would, would, would there ever be a point where the NFLPA just says, no, we don't want any concession. We just don't want 18 games. Would the NFL ever lock them out until they agree to 18 games? I doubt it. But they want 18 games for a variety of reasons. And it's not a coincidence. There are very few coincidences in this industry. Very rarely does Roger Goodell say anything without a damn good reason for saying it. And I believe that when he said today that four games in the preseason are not necessary or may not be necessary, whatever wording he used, the message is, you're damn right we want 18 regular season games. You're reading it properly. It's not fake news. It's not posturing. We want 18 games. So, hey, NFLPA, when you're formulating your requests for us, factor in, we want 18 regular season games, and let's get this done. We've been screwing around with this for a decade now. Let's get it done. That's the message, in my opinion. So I don't know when there would be 18, and I don't know if ultimately it'll be 18 games with that limit for all non-quarterbacks and non-specialists that you can only play in 16 games, but I feel like it's just a matter of time. And now may be the time to do it. Because the other side of the coin is this. They want to turn around and negotiate with the TV companies, with the broadcast companies, with the money companies. And the more they can offer 
is the more money they can get. And with gambling growing and growing and growing, people want more things to bet on. People would rather bet on regular season than preseason. You don't play fantasy in the preseason. Who's going to get involved in in-game betting for preseason games? Who cares? You take away 32 games that nobody cares about, and you play 32 games that everybody cares about. And it's that simple. Nothing simple about the Hail Mary being exempted from replay review for pass interference. What a mess the NFL's made for itself. They really have. Let's go back to square one here. Since I've only got four topics, I can meander a little bit more aimlessly on one of them. This all started in the aftermath of the Rams-Saints-NFC Championship game. Blatant non-call of pass interference. When Nickel Roby Coleman realized he was about 40 yards out of position on the other side of the formation, Tommy Lee Lewis was uncovered. And frankly, if Drew Brees still had the cannon that he had a few years ago, Brees gets the ball to Lewis who walks in for a touchdown before Roby Coleman closes the gap. But by the time Brees saw Lewis and positioned himself, cranked up, threw the ball, and it got there, Roby Coleman had closed the gap and he made the conscious decision. I'm just wiping this guy out because I'm not giving up a touchdown. I'm not. I'm just going to wipe him out and we'll take the penalty. And the best part of it was there was no penalty. So there was that hue and cry that the NFL needed to do something. And I think the problem was the hue and cry was so loud that it kind of pissed some people off. Because if you're inside that bubble, that NFL bubble, you don't want that pressure from the outside telling you what to do. We're going to do what we want to do. And we'll come up with our own ideas. I've been reading a book about the rise and the fall of the American mafia, and I've mentioned this before. The jurisdictional squabbles among various legal authorities in New York, whether it was the two different federal court districts, the Eastern District of New York and the Southern District of New York, whether it was the Manhattan prosecutor, whether it's state, federal officials, there was a lot of infighting. There was a lot of don't tell us how to do our job. And for years, the FBI and the Justice Department wouldn't use the RICO laws because they didn't want some pointy-headed policy wonk telling them how to do their jobs. Yeah, we got this RICO law. We don't want to use it in part because we didn't think of it. So we're not using it. That's human nature. And the reaction was so strong, it caused the NFL to slip into the circling of the wagons mode that usually we have seen when they botch one of these off-field issues. Whether it's Ray Rice, Josh Brown, Kareem Hunt, they go into this mode where it's us against the world and we don't care what anyone says. We know what's right for us. And how dare anyone who is not part of this NFL bubble try to tell us what's right for us. We're going to listen to none of them and they can all go screw themselves. That same attitude, I feel like, crept into the NFL over what was obvious. Something needs to be fixed. So they tried to circle the wagons as best they could until they finally woke up and they woke up too late. They woke up in March in Arizona realizing they needed to fix this. So the fix they implemented, because they hadn't properly planned for the fix, they had two months to plan for the fix, because they spent much of that two months circling the wagons and plugging their ears and saying, I'm not listening. And we don't care what anyone who isn't part of this, this club has to say. Because they waited so long, they ended up thrusting themselves into an overcorrection. 
And now that they overcorrected, they have to figure out how to claw back some of the, the change that was made. Because as it currently stands, if they were drafting the rulebook now for implementation week one, pass interference would be subject to replay review like any other thing that is subject to replay review. And the competition committee emerged two weeks ago with a blank check to carve away at that. And we've heard about it in two different ways. One, only the coach's challenge will initiate replay review for pass interference. It will not be subject to automatic review. Now, there's been confusion. Does that mean only in the final two minutes of the half, either first half or game? Does it mean touchdowns, turnovers, overtime? The big focus has been the final two minutes because the big concern they have, and this is the second area, Hail Marys. They want to exempt replay review for pass interference from Hail Marys. Well, why? Now, maybe this is all just a word salad aimed at at really avoiding what I think the, the biggest concern is. And the biggest concern is this. If you have replay review for a Hail Mary, every Hail Mary is going to spark a replay review. If the coach still has one red flag left to use, and if he's got a timeout to back it up with, it's going to spark that. If it's caught, the opposing coach from the defense is going to throw the flag. If it's not caught, the coach of the team that was losing and desperate to try to score is going to throw the flag, and then we're going to have to slow the game down for a replay review. But if that's the reason, why not just say that? Just say that. Just say, look, here's the problem. Number one, we don't want to do automatic reviews in the final two minutes or in these other situations because so many of these plays, it's close enough that we would have to slow it down and do a replay review. We don't want to do that. So we're taking automatic review away. We're going to force you to throw the red challenge flag to initiate it. But we also don't want you to use that red flag as the Hail Mary to the Hail Mary. Where the offense throws the ball, it doesn't get caught, and the coach of the offensive team says, what the hell? I got a red flag. I got a timeout. I'm going to throw it out there. Maybe I'll get lucky. Maybe our river on will make a mistake. Maybe he'll see something they didn't see on the field. What the hell? The worst case scenario is the status quo. And I walk away with a red challenge flag and a timeout. I mean, you would rightfully criticize to the point of calling for the termination of any coach that didn't throw the red challenge flag after an unsuccessful Hail Mary or defensive coach that failed to throw the red challenge flag after a successful Hail Mary. Because you never know. That's what they're trying to avoid. And I wish they would just admit that. But instead, you got Rich McKay saying, well, you know... We traditionally have a different set of rules that apply for pass interference on Hail Marys. It's survival of the fittest. We only want the officials to call if they see somebody blatantly shoved down or dragged down. Now, apart from the fact that the rule book does not have a separate article under the pass interference rules that says these rules change under certain circumstances... And what is interference in any other setting throughout the playing of a game suddenly isn't interference in these specific Hail Mary areas. There's nothing in the rule book that says that, which means they shouldn't be doing it. This is, and this is where if I was an owner of a team and the fans of that team 
whichever team it would be, should be very happy I'm not. That's where I would be pissed, and I would say, you have essentially usurped our authority. We decide the rules. We vote on the rules. We've not authorized that there be a different standard for pass interference. We've never authorized that. Pass interference is pass interference. But you've got basically a mini coup where the officiating department, under the direction and guidance of the competition committee, has decided to change the freaking rules. That, that to me, is the threshold, sound the alarm. There is something dysfunctional in addition to all the other dysfunctional stuff we know about the way the NFL operates. But this is clear and obvious, and it goes to the integrity of the rules, which in turn goes to the integrity of the game. So that's a problem in and of itself. And it makes it hard to then, like I'm trying to accept that reality that I fundamentally disagree with, but then take that reality and somehow reconcile it with replay review of pass interference. So, so what Rich McKay wants, because they tell the officials to apply a different standard in those Hail Mary settings, they don't trust the head of all officials to do replay review under that different standard, which makes no sense, right? If there's a different standard that applies when there's a Hail Mary and the competition committee tells the officials to call the game that way, I would think the head of all the officials would know what standard to apply. And here's the problem. If you make it subject to no replay review whatsoever, the instances when someone does get pulled down or dragged down, it's not going to be reviewable. You're going to get the same kind of outcome that we had in Rams Saints, although it'll be a Hail Mary, it'll be a Fail Mary, where Golden Tate blatantly shoved off and made the catch, catches the ball, scores the touchdown, wins the game, doesn't get called by the officials on the field because they weren't nearly as competent as the officials who were locked out. But if the regular officials miss something like that, you've got no safety net. The whole idea, see, the, this is what drives me crazy. And this is what makes me wonder, frankly, how the NFL continues to print money when there are these flaws in leadership emanating from the top of the organization. And yes, I mean from the commissioner all the way down, because this is something the commissioner should not be standing for. This is something the commissioner should, there's a big, beautiful conference room, and he should have the head of every department in there, and they should be talking about how in the hell they prevent this kind of thing from happening, where... The Ram Saints outcome speaks to one specific flaw. A blatant call that is missed in real time and there's no mechanism for fixing it. That's the problem. It's a surgical laser focus. Missed call, blatant. No ability for anyone to throw a red flag or call for a challenge. How do we fix that? How do we give satisfaction to people who want to see these games get decided not by the mistakes of the officials, not by the inadequacy of the rules, but by the skills and abilities of the people on the field? How do we fix it? So that was the problem. This is all very logical and simple. And if I can figure it out, trust me, plenty of other people can. They had a very specific defined problem that required that precise focus. And what do they do? They dropped a cannonball on it. And now, now, now see, the rule as written, based upon what happened in March, that'll fix it. Pass interference, subject to replay review, 
all circumstances, offensive defenses, that will fix Rams Saints. The problem is it's going to create other problems. It's going to have truly unintended consequences, whether it's the game being bogged down because there's going to be too many replay reviews of these Hail Mary passes and other throws when there would be automatic challenges. You're going to have the Hail Mary to the Hail Mary where the red flag is thrown. Whenever, you know, if, if you don't have automatic replay review, you're going to throw that flag and you say, hey, let's, let's roll the dice. Maybe we'll get lucky. You've got pick plays that are going to happen. They're going to be very easy to spot. Every touchdown that results from a catch, you're going to have to rewind it back to the snap and make sure there was no blocking by eligible receivers more than a yard downfield. There's all sorts of stuff that 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 makes it too much of a fix, but now they're going to claw it back and they're going to expose the, the, the game to the same problem that happened in Rams Saints. Because if you have that Tommy Lee Lewis, Nikel Roby Coleman play, and Sean Payton doesn't have a red challenge flag or a timeout, ain't a damn thing he can do about it. And if there's a Hail Mary with a Golden Tate outcome at the back end, and it's a blatant miss, there's no way to fix it. Because replay review is not available for Hail Marys. See, why can't you just... Here's the thing. You've acknowledged that you use a different standard. Again, that's the headline from all of this. NFL chairman of the competition committee admits that they are using a rule for certain types of plays for pass interference that is different from the rule on the books. But if you're going to use that, then have replay review for that and have the understanding that the ticky-tack stuff or the things that would be a foul on other plays, they're not going to be fouls on a Hail Mary play. And they're only going to throw that flag, that not throw that flag, but overturn the ruling on the field and call pass interference and throw the flag if if there is a blatant shove or a blatant dragging down to the ground of a guy, because you need that, you need that safe. This is all about having a safety net. We had a bizarre outcome and no safety net to fix it. This is about fashioning the safety net. That's what it is. Not dramatically revamping the way that the, that the game is called when it comes to the Hail Mary or pass interference. No, this is about providing a safety net. That's why the Sky Judge video official is the right answer. And here's hoping they do it next year. But the problem is to get to the point where they do it next year, they're going to have to screw up the 100 season of the NFL. And I feel like they're going to. I argued earlier today as it relates to this Hail Mary definition. That's the other problem. Whatever they do to define a Hail Mary, Bill Belichick is going to figure out how to avoid the definition so he can throw a Hail Mary to the end zone and have it subject to replay review. Whether it's five guys need to be in the end zone, he'll put four. If it's the 40-yard line with at least 10 seconds left, he'll get the ball inside the 40. Or he'll throw the Hail Mary before the, the window for the replay review to turn off. It's very easy to get around that. That's why I suggested that the same know it when you see it that gets the officials to apply a different standard that they're not authorized to apply, but they do anyway, that same know it when you see it would apply to replay review. And it's either before the play, during the play, after the play. At some point, the referee says, this is a Hail Mary play. You don't, you don't define it objectively. You define it subjectively. And the referee has final say on what is and what isn't a Hail Mary play. It's that simple. Well, it's, that's the only way to have a simple solution to this convoluted mess the NFL has foisted upon us. Based upon this blank check the competition committee now has to go back and change the the replay review rule that was passed back in March. It's a mess right now. And not nearly enough people are concerned about it. They should be concerned about it. Because I think it it is something that really can mar the NFL's 
100th season. It remains to be seen whether or not Rob Gronkowski plays in the NFL's 100th season. Something I wrote about a little while ago, something we talked about on PFT Live. Just because Gronk says you can put to rest the idea of him coming back and playing this year, that doesn't mean you can put it to rest. He may not even realize that he's inclined at some point to come back and play. I, I, I hate to use this simile for Rob Gronkowski. I don't mean it in a disrespectful way, but he is kind of like a big old dog. And you know how dogs are? Dogs are only focused upon whatever is bouncing around inside their brains at that moment. What was the movie? Was it Up? Where the it's squirrel? Everything was squirrel? Like, like you know, it's food. And, and then it's, I, I got to pee. And then it's, th- there's a leaf blowing around. Gronk is chasing leaves right now. He's not thinking about playing football until the thought pops into his head to play football. And it'll pop into his head at some point during football season. The question is, does he act on it then? Number one, will it pop into his head? And number two, if it does, will he act on it? But for him to say now, oh, yeah, there's nothing to it. I'm not coming back. I just don't buy it. The real question for me, and we addressed this in a PFTOT segment today, will Bill Belichick take him back? Will Bill Belichick go against everything that is in his DNA about team? And will he take something that will help the team short term, but may run counter to the message he has been carefully crafting and sending to all of his players for the last 19 years? Because this cuts against it. The idea that a guy can just show up whenever he feels like it and jump on board. That's an affront to the guys who have been there working. That's an affront to the concept of team. Would that exception be made for Gronk? Sims thinks he would. I still have that image of Malcolm Butler standing on the sidelines. Whatever it is that Malcolm Butler did to piss Bill Belichick off and cause him to put at risk the ability to win Super Bowl 52. And think about it. They'd be on three in a row right now. Now there's no guarantee they would have won last year as if they had won two in a row, but they could be working on three in a row and four out of five. But he chose to keep Butler out of the game. Now there was a certain confidence slash arrogance slash delusion that they'd be okay without Butler but he saw how it was going he could have put Butler in the game but he chose that there was a broader message he wanted to send to his players and even if it meant potentially losing the Super Bowl he was willing to take that chance and that dynamic makes me wonder will Bill Belichick do something that goes against his nature in an effort to pursue number seven And I don't disagree with Sims. I think Gronk is one of the few that gets that special treatment, especially that they feel like they're not happy with where they are at the tight end position, if and when Gronk would have that that idea pop into his head that it's time to play football. At O'Reilly Auto Parts, you'll get better parts, better prices every day. O'Reilly has the parts you need to get the job done right. Stores are stocked with high-quality parts and accessories at guaranteed low prices. The store's well-trained professionals are standing by to help. O'Reilly Auto Parts, better parts, better prices every day. Every day that we do this, I answer some of your questions. I can't say every single day. There's probably been times where we haven't taken questions, like if we have a really long interview or something like that. But today, yes, we will be. Answering your questions, scrolling down to the... I've been on the Goodfellas GIF kick recently. By the way, next Tuesday, the 49th anniversary of the day they whacked Billy Bats. And if you don't know who Billy Bats is, if you're not familiar with Goodfellas, I suggest that you find the movie. It's in 
fairly heavy rotation on the pay TV channels. Don't don't get the sanitized AMC or FX version where they take out the curse words. It's it's no good. And I also recommend that you read Wise Guy, the book on which Goodfellas is based. The book Wise Guy, I'm telling you, great, great book. If you loved Goodfellas, you will be enthralled by Wise Guy. That is one of the strongest recommendations I can get. Now, you first have to like Goodfellas or love Goodfellas. If you love Goodfellas, you will read Wise Guy quickly. You will be fascinated because there's so much more detail. It explains some of the things that seem like flaws in the movie. Let me give you an example. I won't tell you how it's explained in the book, but when, when Henry Hill pistol whips Bruce from across the street, was his name Bruce or Ken or something like that, and comes back across to Karen's house and hands the gun and says, hide this. And she puts it down in the container where the milk jug is. Like, like the milkman gets into that container multiple times a week, Karen. It'll all make sense. I think, I feel like I've repeat, I'm repeating myself, but I think I've, I've said this recently. I don't know. But that, that thing that seems a little bit over the top in the confines of the movie, you read the book and you understand it. All right, let's answer some of your questions. Dr. J144, would it be possible for players to get paid every two weeks throughout the year instead of 17 huge game day checks? Might help them be better prepared for a strike in CBA talks. Not getting much money from January to September leaves them wanting money by July, August. Hurts them. It hurt them in 2011 talks. Yeah, well, why would the NFL ever agree to it then? That's You've answered your own question. If it makes the players more likely to take a work stoppage, the NFL is not going to agree to change the way they pay out the money. Now, I guess the players could could you know, sign over their checks to the NFLPA that would then pay out the money for them. But I, I, no, that's just the way it's always been. And I don't see it changing, mainly for the reason that you've identified. Sean Alvishire is the Palm Beach County State's Attorney continuing to fight Robert Kraft simply because it gets him on MSNBC. I'd be careful about that. Just ask Michael Avenatti about what happens if you're on MSNBC and CNN too much. Next thing you know, you're indicted. I, I don't know why they're still fighting Robert Kraft at this point. There was a thought a couple of weeks ago that once this all kind of settles down a little bit, the prosecution will just drop the charges against Robert Kraft. Now, that will still leave a fight for whether or not the video ends up part of the public domain. The moment those charges are dropped, based upon the order that's currently on the books, as closely as I've been following this, and I haven't been following it as closely in recent weeks, but the order that was on the books, the moment that prosecution ends, video becomes public. And there's still a fight and the fight has been renewed based upon the finding that the video was harvested as part of an illegal surveillance operation that went too far as to the people who were innocent. That, that's, you know, people think, oh, Robert Kraft uh, buying his way out of a problem. Really, he didn't intend to do this, but his efforts have exposed some overbearing police practices, violations of privacy rights, constitutional issues. That will inure to the benefit of people who went to the Orchids of Asia Day Spa in Jupiter, Florida for massages and nothing more. And there are more than 30 people who are in this class that is being represented by lawyers who are trying to get justice for the people who were videotaped while they were getting undressed, while they were undressed getting massages, while they were getting dressed again. There was no effort to minimize the intrusion on their privacy once it became obvious they were just getting massages. There's a real, real exposure there to liability. And if Robert Kraft doesn't push this the way he does, those practices continue. The way that the police did this in Palm Beach County and Martin County, Florida, they would keep doing it. 
until they're held accountable. See, that's the importance of holding police accountable, holding the authorities accountable. They'll keep doing something that is messed up until they're held accountable and they're being held accountable. Mr. Nelly B., can you look at the Jaguars' looming contract situations with Jalen Ramsey, Yannick Ngakwe, and Miles Jack and give your take on how you would balance the roster given the salary cap tightness? I mean, I would have to really put a lot more time into that than I than I care to put into it to figure out the Jaguars' salary cap issues. I look at it this way, though. I remember a time when multiple teams were in salary cap purgatory and they were bumping up against the cap and they were spending cash over cap. And I feel like now... If you want to sign these guys, there's a way to do it. You can make it happen. They can sign Ramsey and Ngakwe and Miles Jack. There's a way to make it happen. If they have to choose two of the three, then they choose two of the three. But they can make it happen if they want to do it. The cap is not an issue anymore. Not an, You can make it work. There, there are enough other contracts you can work with. You can get these guys signed. Teams aren't spending like they used to relative to the spending limit. You've got issues with too many teams spending not enough. When you hear that the Colts, for example, have $60 million in cap space that has accumulated, that, that's not something to be proud of. That's something to be pissed off about. That they're not spending the money on quality players. They're holding money back for Jim Ursay to buy John Lennon's piano. Burn unit. Why do players retire and pay back signing bonuses, then force the team to cut them? Seems like an easy plan to show up and do everything half-assed to make yourself worthless to the team. Therefore, the team will cut you. Hey, I, that's a point that's come up before. And if you think you are done, you know, you have to have the willingness to show up and go through the indignity of being cut, go through the indignity of half-assing it. I mean, these, it's tough for these. These are proud, proud athletes who have been elite athletes their entire life. And the idea that I'm going to save a few million, that's a lot of money. But the idea that the way to do that is to basically show up and not put in the work and hope you get cut. I, just, I think that there's got to be a way to negotiate an exit. If you feel like you're done, you, you know, you, this is where the agent needs to get involved and have a meeting with the general manager and say, look, my, my client just feels like he can't physically do it anymore. And he could show up and he could go through the motions and, and you can come to the conclusion at the end of training camp that he, he just can't do it anymore and move on. Or we can just come up with an agreement now where he walks away and he doesn't pay you back any of the money that he would otherwise owe you. I'm astounded that Calvin Johnson's agent didn't do that for him three years ago. That's where this all that's where this question comes from. The idea that the Lions wanted a million dollars back from Calvin Johnson of the three point two million he had yet to earn on his signing bonus. And if Johnson had just held firm with that twenty four million dollar cap number for twenty sixteen, they probably would have cut him. And failing that, that's when the agent needs to get involved and negotiate an exit. That's that's the better way to do it. But yes, you're right. In theory, hey, if you want to retire, and, and if the number's big enough that it's worth it to you to just show up and, and perform like crap, then do it, and they'll cut you. Now, the problem is, at some point, they may sniff it out, and they may realize what you're up to. Because the other side of it is this. Maybe you still have it. You just don't want to play for that team anymore. And they cut you and you get what you want. And you end up going to play somewhere else. And all of a sudden you're pretty damn good. It's kind of like what Randy Moss did. He half-assed it in Oakland and they gave him away to the Patriots for a fourth round draft pick. And then he had one of the great receiver seasons of all time. Different situation. But after two years of half-assing it, we all assumed he was done. 
if you have a guy who half-asses it for one training camp in preseason, the team just says, well, he's older, he's expensive, let's just get rid of him. Yeah, we know we paid him that signing bonus money. Let's not worry about it. Let's just move on. Next thing you know, he shows up in your division. All right, what else do we have here? Tyler Fornes, if and when the Bills move, assuming that both theoretical options provide money for a stadium, is it more likely that they pick a city that has had an NFL franchise or one that has never had one? It, it doesn't. It's, all that matters is, number one, where will the public money be? Number two, if there's no public money available, what city makes the most sense from the standpoint of making your money back when you build your stadium? Football games, will it be full? I mean, you want to have the population base there to fill up the stadium. And if it's been a, a venue, a city in the past that has had a team, then I guess that helps in the analysis. But ultimately, you just want to get the biggest bang for your buck. Look, the team's going to be somewhere. The Pagulas own one of 32 NFL franchises. It will exist somewhere. And if the money isn't there in Buffalo to keep the team in place, then it's going to exist in the place where they think, from a business standpoint, it makes the most sense for it to be. All right, let's see what else we have. Austrian Panther disagrees with my take that Cam needs to change his style of play. Well, we can we can agree to disagree. Or anytime someone says to me we agree to disagree, I say, no, I disagree to disagree. I'm right, you're wrong. I don't agree. I don't agree, and I don't agree to disagree, because agreeing to disagree gives credence to your argument. No, I don't accept your argument. Cam Newton needs to change his style of play, because he is a guy who feels indestructible, looks indestructible, and he's made of the same tissue and muscles and bones and ligaments and tendons as the rest of us, and we've seen him get injured. And we've seen it happen enough times. Eddie Horse Sports, knowing what the Lions did to Barry Sanders and Calvin Johnson, I get it. The teams have the right under the CBA to recoup signing bonus money. It's bad PR. Isn't it time to streamline the salary cap? I understand more than most fans, but I feel like you need a PhD to understand it all. Thoughts? I, I mean... But, but this is the way that the signing bonus works. The signing bo- People think the signing bonus is free money, that it's a lottery prize. It's not. It's advanced compensation for future services. And it's a way to allow the team to give the player a big pile of money now, but spread the cap consequence over time. But the way that it works is, the player's got to show up and play. The player's got to earn that unless the team chooses to cut him. That's just the way it works. Frank Chavoui, do you think Ruiz has a chance in the rematch? I didn't watch the fight the other night, so I don't know. I don't know. All I saw from the clips is Anthony Joshua was at the point where he wanted nothing to do with Ruiz. Nothing to do with him at all. And I don't know whether he underestimated Ruiz because of his build he thought he could just walk into the ring and beat the crap out of him. But he was in a mindset where he wanted nothing to do with that guy. So I don't know how it would go next time around. Sean Alvashire, has there ever been a rumor or urban legend about the mafia compromising an NFL game? I've never heard one. But you know what? I don't know. I don't know. I've never heard one, and I don't even want to start speculating. I've never heard that. But I'll tell you what. Based upon this book I'm reading, The Five Families, those folks, those five Borgatas in New York were so deep into anything and everything where they spotted an avenue for them to trim off a piece of the action for themselves. And they were so heavily involved in sports and so heavily involved in gambling on sports. Would it be ludicrous to think that they didn't at some point try to do something that we don't know about, that we'll never know about? The thing is, though, there have been enough 
turncoats. Or you could say guys who did the right thing, like Sammy the Bull Gravano, who ultimately was faced with life behind bars and felt like he was being sold out by John Gotti. That's when he flipped. That's when he said, I want to change governments and went from the mafia government to the U.S. government. You would think that one of these guys who has decided to flip at some point would have said, oh, by the way, we managed to get Paul Crew to shave points. So the fact that nothing like that's ever come up tells me it hasn't happened yet because I think we'd know about it if it had happened. Dean Osborne, 42, do you have an inkling of what candidates would potentially apply for Roger Goodell's job when he decides to step down, presumably in the next couple of years? There's a name that keeps popping around that, and, and I can't, it, I can't even remember the name. I remember when we first saw Roger Goodell's name, we didn't even know how to pronounce it. But there's a name that's been popping around. He's there in the league office now. Um, I heard Aeneas Williams. There's talk of Aeneas Williams being the next commissioner. I saw Aeneas Williams at the league meeting, and I thought, boy, it's odd to see Aeneas Williams here. You usually see him at, like, the Super Bowl, you know, making the rounds with the gold jacket and the ring. Aeneas Williams. Keep keep an eye on Aeneas. I, I, you know, there's, there's a thought in some circles that this job, the commissioner of the NFL, has become like a Fortune 500 CEO job where you want somebody who isn't part of the football machinery running the show. You want a professional executive running the show. But it, it I, I don't know. Wouldn't that be something? I think it'd be great if he's got the chops to do it, if he's got the skills necessary, but apparently they're watching him. They're evaluating him. These, something that obscure and that specific doesn't just pop up out of nowhere. It's not like we're, we're, we're you know, it's, it's just it's like Aeneas Williams. Like he's never, you know, it's like that's a kind of, I mean, you know, he's a Hall of Famer. It's kind of a random name to just pop up as potential future commissioner. Anyway, that, that was the talk in Arizona. We'll see if anything comes of that. Uh Dean Osborne, 42. Can you get Patriots quarterback Tom Brady on for a chat before the season starts? I mean, we got him after Super Bowl 51. But that's a card I'm not going to play very often. I'd rather wait until after Super Bowl 54. See if they win. Maybe try to get him back again. I remember, I was, I was kind of nervous that day. Not as nervous as I would be for Belichick. I had a dream the other night I was interviewing Belichick by phone. And I really wasn't all that nervous. And Paul Burmeister did a great job with Belichick at the lacrosse matches they had at Foxborough this week. Excellent job. Belichick away from football is a different guy altogether, as we've always heard and suspected. Terry Gensler, 14. Do you listen to Yacht Rock Radio on Sirius XM? Sorry, Terry, I don't. Paul PJ5, you always say it's better for expectations to be low, so does that mean a team should never win the Super Bowl? The expectations are always high for the defending Super Bowl champ. Come on, Paul. Of course you should win the Super Bowl if you can. You're not going to throw the Super Bowl so your expectations will be low. Hey, you know what? We'd really like to make the playoffs this year, but we don't want to have high expectations. I'm just saying that if you could choose high expectations versus low expectations in any given season, you want low expectations. And the best scenario for a Super Bowl champion is to have everyone saying, ah, they suck now. Now nah, they're, ne- they're never going to get back. I'll tell you what, the one team that I'm keeping an eye on that I think the expectations are way too low... And I think they have a chance to go back and win the Super Bowl this year as the Eagles. It could be Patriots-Eagles again. Could have been Patriots-Eagles last year if Carson Wentz had stayed healthy. It was almost Patriots-Eagles without Carson Wentz. 
Sando Shuffle, what rookies will have the biggest impact this year, offense or defense? You mean generally? Which rookies will have the greater impact? We tend to notice the offensive players more because they touch the football, right? There isn't that stud running back like Saquon Barkley that we're all like keeping a close eye on and waiting for him to come take the game by storm. I don't I haven't thought enough about it yet. Icaro Franco, should the NFL do something about the Edelman case last season? Is it all right for a guy to be caught cheating and then be the Super Bowl MVP? Look, he 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 he's served his time. Right? He served his time. You get caught, four game suspension. You missed twenty five percent of the season. If they change the rules and say you missed twenty five percent of the season and you can't play in the postseason, then then fine. But that's not the rule. That there's nothing to do. He got caught cheating. He didn't have he didn't even try to make a flimsy ass argument. He's just like, Well, I don't know what to tell you. Oh, PED. Well, hey, there's that, that PED policy, that pesky PED policy. I don't know what to tell you about that. So he couldn't have gone to the Pro Bowl, but he was qualified to win the Super Bowl MVP. Last one, Rick Rowe 2. You guys need to do a story on Madden. It's ripping a lot of honest people off. He's ripping you off. He's ripping me off. Remember when Kramer? Kramer and uh, Jerry's dad had the deal on the beltless trench coats, the inventory that Jerry's dad had in Florida. And George Costanza got Kramer all worked up about getting ripped off by Morty Seinfeld. I I don't know what you're referring to, Rick Rohr, too. I, look, I still play Madden. I'm going to go down and do it as soon as I'm done. I get on the bike. It's the only way I can get through an hour of heavy cardio, heart rate in the 125 to 140 range for the full hour, playing Madden, multitasking, a little balance, a little focus, pumping away and you know, play that, play uh, the ultimate team, play online, get a little spirit of competition. It's actually, it really is. I was thinking about this the other day because I sent Rodney Harrison a picture of the the strong safety that's on my ultimate team. It's Rodney Harrison that I've upgraded to a, a 98 and he's just, he's unstoppable. But uh, it, it really gives you, I mean, it's not nearly as detailed and high level as real football, but, but that whole, the play calling and you know, spotting the weaknesses in the defense and, you know, the pre-snap read, where do you think the open man's going to be? And that first read, I mean, it really, you know, if, if you, if you think based upon the alignment before the snap, that that slot receiver is going to spring open and that's the guy you're watching from the moment you snap the ball and he springs open and you hit that button, you get a big gain. And if that guy's covered, then you have to cycle over to somebody else and then before you know it, you're sacked. I mean, there really are some parallels there. Obviously, it requires no physical ability other than the ability to use your fingers and your thumbs. But mentally, it really is a great way to process information before the snap. And yes, it's far different than being out there in the fray. But, you know, I, it, it, it helps me be familiar with the names of a lot of players. And you see different defensive schemes and different offensive strategies and it's all that that flow of the game and the play call and setting up play action, um, anticipating how the defense is going to be aligned, calling an audible at the line of scrimmage to counter the defense. It, there's, there's really a lot there that helps you understand how football works. But anyway, I don't know how it's ripping people off other than, you know, you, you give in to the temptation to buy upgrades for your team. And I won't do it. I'm too cheap to do it. This Madden, 
It can't. And, and I, the thing that drives me crazy, my team is up to like a 96 or a 97. You build the team, build the team, build the team, build the team. And then when the year is up, the new Madden comes out and you start all over again. Build the team, build the team, build the team, lather, rinse, repeat. But there is, it's, it's just, if it didn't help me get through my work, like I, I rarely ever play it other than when I'm just trying to get through that hour on the bike. But, I, you know, if you give into the temptation to spend the money, it's like any of these other games. They've realized instead of charging you for the game itself, a lot of these games are free now, but then they rope you into getting this upgrade and that upgrade and this upgrade and that upgrade. And it's $10 here. It's $15 there. It's $5 there. And the next thing you know, they've made $500 off of you for whatever game it is. So I don't know that it's ripping people off as much as it's good business because it apparently is working. All right, that's it for today's PFTPM podcast. We will do another one tomorrow. After that, I'm not sure how the week is going to unfold. PFT live Tuesday morning. We had an idea for a draft. If the Blues win tonight, I think we're going to do a draft that is based on the best NFL stadium songs, the best anthems for teams. I don't I don't know that there's six of them. We had fun today with the best bod ba- best bod baddies or the best bad bodies draft. That was a lot of fun. We appreciate all your input on those matters. 6 a.m. Eastern for NBC Sports Radio's PFT Live, and then at 7, simulcast radio and TV. PFTOT gets taped right after that. Plenty of content out there. And I don't know, you may have noticed this, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant to admit it, but we've been using video code a lot more aggressively than ever before. And, you know, the, the argument is very simple. The more video codes we put out there, the more people watch the videos. And the more, you know, the more revenue that gets generated from the ads that play, 15, 20, 30-second ads. I mean, if you go to YouTube, you get bombarded with commercials. It's, 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 it's a short period of time, and you can watch it, or you can just wait until it finishes, and you can do something else. But then you get, you get the content you're looking for. But we, we've, we use a lot of those videos now, and no one has complained about it. The only time people complain is if the, you know, the, the autoplay and the audio are on and we do not have the audio on. So if you're sitting in your cubicle, all of a sudden you don't have some, some, uh, ridiculous racket that gets you in trouble with your boss because you should be working instead of, instead of, uh, you know, checking out whatever website is out there. So, um, we appreciate your patience and your tolerance of the videos. And we appreciate the fact that a lot of you are actually watching the videos. I mean, we, we just, we, we, uh, for last, I mean, for, for what we've seen in, in, in the slow time, uh, a lot of these videos are being consumed. So uh, we appreciate that. We'll do it again tomorrow. Everybody have a great day. Enjoy the rest of your Monday. We'll talk Tuesday. You can find the PFTPM podcast on Art19, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google Play. If you like what you hear, and you will, subscribe for automatic downloads. Leave a rating and review. That'll help new listeners find our show and push us up the charts. Search PFTPM for your evening update from Pro Football Talk.